Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. If you're faithful in how you use your time, if you're faithful in how you use your gifts, what you do with your life will impact the eternity you share in. God says to us, someday I'll give you great riches, great responsibility for all eternity. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Our time, talents, and abilities are gifts that God has given to us to advance His kingdom. And one day we'll have to account for how we used our resources. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how Christians will be judged at the Great White Throne Judgment and what we should be doing right now to prepare. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress, welcome again to Pathway to Victory. We're spending the entire month of June addressing what I call Jesus' favorite stories, or the parables as they're commonly known. And in a moment, we'll turn to one of those intriguing stories found in Matthew chapter 25. Stories appeal to everyone, right? And it's no wonder that Jesus employed a good story to communicate truth. Plus, he never excluded children. Remember, he said, allow the children to come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Well, this gracious statement from Jesus is what compelled me to write a brand new book for your children and grandchildren. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. In my book, I share 10 easy Bible lessons that will carry them throughout their lives. This book is fully illustrated, and best of all, it affords you an occasion to have sacred moments with the little ones in your life. Ask for a copy of Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge that's active right now. Here's how the matching challenge works. Some generous friends have pulled together to give an impressive amount of $500,000 as an incentive for you to join them in their generosity. That means today your gift has twice the impact. For every dollar you give, they will match it. And here's the most important part. Your gift will be used to fulfill our mission, which is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. I'll share more of these details later on. But right now, let's continue with a story from Jesus that's recorded in Matthew 25. In case you missed my introduction on Friday's program, we'll begin with a brief recap. I titled this message, Talent Search. God has given every one of us certain gifts, certain resources, certain opportunities to use to expand His kingdom. But the passage we're going to look at today reminds us that either we're going to use those to accomplish God's purpose or we risk losing them for all eternity. If you have your Bibles today, turn to Matthew chapter 25 as we continue our study of the parables. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is going to tell us that those who are true believers are not only watching for Jesus' return, they are always working in anticipation of Christ's return. And that's the parable we're going to look at today. Now, I divided this parable into four easy parts that teach us four important truths we need to understand. Truth number one is this. Christians are given differing opportunities for service. Look at verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it is just like a man 
who was about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now let's stop here and make the obvious application. The master represents Jesus Christ. We represent his slaves, his servants, who have been left to manage what he has entrusted to us and to enlarge his kingdom. And the point is, we have been given differing opportunities for service. He's given us different amounts of resources to use to build his kingdom. The question is, what do you do with those things God has entrusted to you? And that leads to the second truth in this parable. We respond differently to our opportunities of service. Look at verse 16. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents, he went and he traded with them and he gained five more talents. Look at verse 17. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents, he also doubled what he had. He gained two more. Verse 18, but he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. The one who buried his talent buried what had been given to him so that he could go and spend his life doing what he wanted to do. The only problem is, one day there is a day of reckoning that is coming. And that leads to the third truth in this passage. We will be judged according to the use of our opportunities. Look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came, and he settled accounts with them. What Jesus is talking about here is the fact that when he returns, we're all going to be judged. We're going to be judged according to what we've done with the resources, the time, the gifts God has given us. Have we spent them on ourselves or have we spent them investing in eternity? That's going to be the basis of the judgment. And he talks about that judgment beginning in verse 20. And the one who had received the five talents came and brought the five saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. Will you underline that in your Bible? Few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Now, will you notice that these first two slaves did not return the same amount of talents? One returned five, one returned two. But they returned the same percentage of profit. They both doubled what they had been given. Again, the issue in life is not what has God given to us, what have we done with what he has entrusted to us? And here <laughs> we come upon a surprise. The master says, because you have been faithful in a few things, now I'm ready to give you many things. What we discover is when the master left on his journey, in fact, he didn't divide all of his wealth among those slaves. He only gave them a sliver of it. He only gave them a little bit as a test to see if they could be counted on. 
And now that they had been faithful in those very few things that had been entrusted to them, now the master said, now I know I can trust you. I'm ready to give you management over a great many things. God says the same thing to us. As brief as this life is on earth, it's important because it's a test. These few years we have on planet earth, they are a test of our faithfulness to God. And perhaps of all of the things God tests our faithfulness with at the top of the list is how we handle the money that has been entrusted to us. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 16. He says the money you have right now, whether it's $500 or $500 million, that's not the issue. The issue is what are you doing with the money that God has entrusted to you? In Luke 16, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said about money, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous money, who will entrust the true riches to you? You see, folks, to God, money is a very little thing. To us, it's a big thing. (laughs) To God, it's a little thing. 500 million, 500 billion makes no difference to God. He owns it all anyway. It's a very little thing, but it's a big thing in this way. It is a test of your faithfulness to God. And God says in Matthew 25, if you are faithful in this very little thing called money, one day God will entrust true riches to you. If you're faithful in how you use your time, if you're faithful in how you use your gifts, whether you use them to build your kingdom or if you use them to build God's kingdom, what you do with your life will impact the eternity you share in. The master is saying, because you've been faithful in these few things, now I will entrust to you many things. God says to us, if you will be faithful to use what I've given you, Someday, I'll give you great riches, great responsibility for all eternity. Notice the response, though, of the third servant, verse 24. And the one who had also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid and went away and hid the talent in the ground, but now you can have what is yours. See, apparently this third slave forgot all about the master. He probably figured he wasn't coming back, and so he just started using his life as he wanted to use it. And the return of the master caught him by surprise. And so when the master came back, he was in a panic, and all he could think to do was to make some excuse about why he hadn't obeyed the master's command. And notice what he does. He starts accusing the master. He says, the reason I did this is because you're a cruel person. And not only that, you're a dishonest man. You sow where you do not uh, own land and you reap uh, property that is not your own. And therefore, that's why I was lazy and didn't do what you told me to do. By the way, this is kind of reminiscent about how unbelievers treat God. There are many people out there right now who profess to be believers, but as soon as their back gets up against the wall, They start attacking the character of God. God, you're this and this, and why didn't you do this, and why didn't you do that? It simply reveals they never knew God to begin with. That's the way with the third slave here. And notice how the master responds, verse 26. He said, you wicked, lazy slave. 
You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. In other words, I took things that weren't my own. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Now, I don't think the master is admitting to what he was accused of. I think what he's saying is this. If you really thought I was that way, if you thought I were cruel and unfair, then shouldn't you have done what I asked you to do? Shouldn't you at least put my money in the bank where it would have gotten 6% interest every year? <laughs> no. The problem is your wickedness and your laziness. This verse reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 19 about the day of judgment. He says, on that day, every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be accountable to God. When the great judgment comes, no excuses will be acceptable in God's eyes. And notice what the master said about the slave. He said in verse 28, therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Why? And that leads to the fourth principle. Our faithfulness in using opportunities has eternal consequences. Why take away from the one who only had the one talent and give it to the one who had ten talents? Verse 29, Jesus said, For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now, this is one of those places in the Bible where Jesus made a mistake. I hate to have to be the one to point that out to you. But occasionally, Jesus makes a mistake, and here's one of the places he made a mistake because he doesn't end the story the way I would have ended it. Therefore, he must be mistaken here. You see, if I were to end the story, I would say, he who has little in this life will have a great deal in the next life. And he who has a great deal in this life will have very little in the next life. Doesn't that seem more fair to you? More politically correct? It doesn't sound right to say, he who has little will lose what he has in the next life, and he who has much will have more in the next life. But that's what Jesus is saying when it comes to opportunities for serving him. That's what he's talking about. He's saying if you have been faithful to use what God has given you in this life, you will have even more in the next life. If you have been unfaithful to use what you have in this life, you will have even less in the next life. In these final three verses, I find a word of warning, of challenge, and encouragement. First of all, the word of warning. It's in verse 30. Not only does the master order that that slave's talent be taken away from him, but look at verse 30. The master said, And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do those words sound familiar to you? What is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's hell. Matthew chapter 13, the same words Jesus used to describe what happened to the tares. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This slave is cast into hell. Wait a minute, pastor. <laughs> Are you saying that if I don't use the opportunities God has given me to serve Him, that I'm in danger of eternal separation from God? Listen to what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, one way to distinguish a true believer from a fake believer 
is by his willingness to serve Christ faithfully. To say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to say you have embraced the gospel, but to spend your life serving yourself doesn't cause you to lose your salvation. It just reveals you were never saved to begin with. You're a fake, phony believer. That's what he's saying. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Let's say uh, one day I was early in the morning drinking my coffee and watching CNBC, the financial network, and this financial expert came on television. And he said, the dollar is going to continue to plunge in value, and on December 31st this year, the dollar is going to be declared worthless. And if you're holding paper money, you're going to lose everything you have. Therefore, you better trade what you have now for gold. And so he was warning everybody to do that. And I watched that, and I began to panic. And so I think, well, you know, if this is true, I better learn everything I can. So I order every book I can from this financial expert. I subscribe to his monthly newsletter. And I'm absolutely convinced that on December 31st, the dollar is going to be declared worthless. And every Sunday, I stand up before you. And I don't care what passage I'm preaching from. I always work it into the sermon. You know, you better do something with your money. Because on December 31st, if you're still holding paper currency, you're going to end up with nothing. Week after week, you come up and ask me, Pastor, do you really believe that? Oh, yes, I believe it. I believe it. And sure enough, December 31st comes around. The dollar is declared worthless. Everybody who's holding paper money loses everything they have, including your pastor. Because you see, even though I said I believed this was going to happen, even though I warned you that it was going to happen, even though I said I believed it, I didn't believe it enough to do something with my own money to make that exchange. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the Bible says there is coming a day when your money, everything you have, is going to be declared worthless. And if you want to make sure you're prepared for that day, you better start changing your currency right now into eternal currency. You better start investing in those things which are going to survive your death and the return of Jesus Christ. You see, not to do that is to show that you really don't believe what you say you believe. To say you believe and not to act is really not to believe at all. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The real mark of a true believer is he is going to invest his life in those things which he says he believes in. Secondly, there's a challenge in this passage. And the challenge is this. The challenge is, given the brevity of this life and the length of eternity, start investing your time, your money, your opportunities in building God's kingdom. Why? Because one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to be judged, rewarded or not, by what we've done in this life, whether it be good or worthless. And then finally... I find a word of encouragement in this parable. You say, what in the world's the encouragement after you've scared us half to death? What's the word of encouragement here? Here's the word of encouragement. Yes, we're going to be judged one day by God. But our judgment's going to be highly personalized. We're going to be judged by what God has given us, not according to what he has given somebody else. And to me, that's really encouraging. I know that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not going to face the same judgment that Billy Graham faces. God has not given me Billy's gifts, nor has he given me his opportunities. 
God's going to judge me by the gifts and the opportunities he's entrusted to me. George Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, said, the real issue in life is not what we have gotten, but what we have given. This parable is an encouragement to us to take whatever we have been given and investing it in eternity. In my reading this week, I came across a very astute observation by Christian professor Lewis Smeads about the importance of investing your life in eternity. Listen to Smeads' words. He said, I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year, spiral-bound, black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank boxes. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in at the moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the date book, I will fill the squares with the classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through. And these are only the things I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with things I do not write down to remember. Thousands of cups of coffee, some lovemaking, some praying, and I hope gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside of one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are the walls of time that organize my life. Each box has an invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by a silent stroke, the door opens and I am pulled through as if by a magnet sucked into the next square in the line. There I will again fill that time frame that seals me. Fill it with my busyness just as I did the square before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into the adjoining square. One of those squares will be terminal. I do not know which square it will be. Between today and the day you die, you're going to invest your life in something. The issue, the only issue is, are you going to invest your life, are you going to fill in the squares with that that matters most? Time is an elusive gift. The hours are fleeting. Every day presents wonderful opportunities and nagging distractions that seem to be in conflict. And this favorite story from Jesus helps us remain focused on the things that matter most. So let's invest our hours, our days, our lives in things that truly count, like building God's kingdom. As the father of two adult daughters and the grandfather to triplets, I believe that building God's kingdom starts in your home. In fact, there's no better place to invest your valuable time. Your children, your grandchildren, even your nieces and nephews need your spiritual guidance and love. With this in mind, I've written a brand new book for you and your children. It's a beautifully, fully illustrated children's book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. The 10 lessons in this book will help your child or grandchild grow in their faith as they come to understand more about God and His Word. 
A copy of my new children's book is yours when you give a generous gift today. And remember, right now, because of the generous matching challenge, your special gift to Pathway to Victory will be doubled in its impact. That means whatever amount you give, it will have twice the impact for the kingdom of God. Let me reinforce why your gift is so important. Pathway to Victory has received a number of exciting opportunities to expand our influence for the gospel, including television and radio stations that are inviting us to come on board. We want to say yes to these opportunities, and your generous gift to the Matching Challenge will help us build God's kingdom in this fruitful way. So, thank you for entrusting Pathway to Victory with your generous gift, and thank you for investing in eternal things that truly matter. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, We'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand new illustrated children's book, Jesus, Favorite Stories for Kids. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete unedited CD and DVD teaching sets for our series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, your gift right now will be double in impact through our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. So be sure to get in touch today. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Here's the mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Next time, Dr. Jeffress continues his study on the parables of Jesus with a message called The Freedom of Forgiveness. So join us then, Tuesday, for Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.